Good morning, Redemption Parker. Good to see you guys. Well, since I got my liturgical robes on this morning, and since we're celebrating Advent, which is in the liturgical church calendar, I thought, why don't we start our time off this morning by reciting a liturgical creed. So, I'm going to throw it up there. It's the Chalcedonian Creed from 451. And so let's, let's recite this together. Let's try to hear the theology behind it. The, the focus at this council was on the person of Christ. We then, the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men... Same perfect in Godhead. Both soul and body. Consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead. Consubstantial with us according to the manhood. And in all things like unto us without sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. And in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Lord, only begotten. Distinction of natures, no means, union but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, and the creed... Amen. Amen. It's a lot of theology right there. So about about four years ago, um, Holly and I got to visit our missionary friends in Antalya, Turkey. Um, it was a vision trip for us as we were thinking about joining them as church planters in Antalya. Obviously, that didn't happen, but I'll never forget the last couple days of that trip. Um, We spent most of the trip serving with them, trying to love on them, encourage them. But then they surprised us at the end of our trip, wanting to take us to Ephesus. And to see where where Paul ministered was unreal. It was amazing. to, to, To walk into the theater in Ephesus Enchant, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, like we read about in Acts 19. It was was unbelievable. To leave from that theater and head to the site where the council of Ephesus went down was crazy. And here's a picture of me and my friend Dylan at the council of Ephesus. We kind of look like Harry Potter right there in Voldemort, but we're not. We were trying to act out the council. I was Cyril, of course, and he was Nestorius. If if you don't know those names, don't worry. Here comes a little church history lesson. Um, It's funny. Sometimes as as American kind of individualistic Christians, we think the book of Acts and then Parker, Colorado, 2022. 
But church history actually matters. And, and it was here in Ephesus in the summer of 431 at the church's third ecumenical council where the doctrine of Christ was under attack. The teachings of Nestorius were on the rise. He would not accept that God could be born, that God could hunger, so on and so forth. He, he wanted to say that Jesus was actually two persons instead of one. And they could even run parallel with each other. You got the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and Jesus, man. Um, and, and, and these two persons staying separate from each other. And in the council of Ephesus, he, he was arguing that Mary should be called the Christotokos, which basically means the Christ bearer. Yes, Mary gave birth, he would say, to the Christ, to the Messiah, a man. But she definitely didn't give birth to God. Well, it was here in Ephesus that Nestorius was deemed a heretic. Cyril won the battle, building off what had already been established by Athanasius at the Nicene uh, Council. That the Son of God, the second person in the Godhead, took on another nature. The Son of God, who was truly God, became truly man. The Son of God incarnate, but he was still one person, one agent acting out these two natures, Jesus, the God-man. So at the Council of Ephesus, the church said that Mary would not simply be called Christotokos, Christ-bearer, but rather Mary would be the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God. When we read that creed earlier some of you guys didn't like that line when we said mary mother of god you thought i was getting a little roman catholic on you no roman catholicism here except maybe the outfit simply historic orthodox christianity many of us moderns modern christians we might not know the creed super well but but we do know our Christmas traditions, right? Anyone have any good Christmas Eve ones? The day before Christmas? Anyone? No one does anything the day before Christmas? <laughs> really? What do you do, Arlen? Presentations. Presentations. I've been in PowerPoint slides. Wow. <laughs> Intense. <laughs> With robes? Okay, okay. Anyone else? Anyone got any good ones? I'm looking for some inspiration. Nothing. Open up for, yeah, we do that. Open up a present. Okay. Huh? Japanese curry. That's awesome. <laughs> what do you think it was like that first Christmas Eve? Right, for our, our theme for Advent this year is the day before Christmas. That's my portion this morning. And then on Christmas Eve, Mark will preach the day after Christmas. So what in the world was going on the day before the first Christmas? Most um, pastors and theologians I've talked to about a specific song, Mary, Did You Know? They hate the song, Mary, Did You Know? 
And I get it. It was a hymn written in the 80s, not the 1580s. And it was written by a comedian and not a theologian. But I, but I must make a confession. It is one of my favorite Christmas songs. I understand that if the lyrics are all rhetorical questions, they want the answer no, well then the guys who wrote the song were wrong. But what did Mary know? That's a fascinating question, really. It's the day before Christmas. What did Mary know? My goal for the rest of this sermon is to try to answer that question. And as we look into what Mary did and didn't know, my, my prayer is that we would marvel at the mystery of Christmas. That the Son of God would humble himself so low as to call Mary his mother. Uh, so my passage this morning will be in Galatians chapter 4. Why don't you turn there right now? Galatians chapter 4, one verse, verse 4. This is the word of God. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. When the fullness of time had come. Or I like the CSB's translation here. When the time came to completion. We have three kids and all three of them were late, at least in relation to the date the midwives gave to Holly. Shiloh, for instance, was 10 days late. And in each passing day, Holly was willing to try crazier foods or do whatever she had to do to get this baby moving. When we went to the hospital for each of our kids, it would be a true statement to say, the fullness of time has come. And to that, Holly would say, hallelujah. (laughs) Is that what this passage is talking about? Mary's nine months are over. It's Christmas Eve. The contractions just began. It's go time. Well, that's definitely true. Christmas Eve is the eve of this completion of time that Paul's talking about. But it didn't begin nine months prior when, as a virgin, Mary conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. Rather, it goes way back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If you don't know the story, Adam and Eve were in paradise. Sin had not entered the world. And so they enjoyed perfect fellowship with God and with one another. Could you imagine a world unstained by sin? God did tell them, though, not to eat of one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the other trees have at it. Enjoy. Well, Satan, who appears as a serpent, deceives Eve. He tells her that that God actually can't be trusted. And if you just eat this one tree, well, actually, you'll, you'll be like God. So Eve and Adam, who was right there with her, forgetting they were already made in the likeness of God, wanted more. They wanted to be God. So they ate the fruit. They, they disobeyed God. And just like that, sin was brought into the world. Two deaths happened that day. Spiritual death, their sweet fellowship with God, no more. 
and physical death, they would now eventually grow old and die. But God, in the midst of cursing mankind for their act of rebellion against him, curses Satan, the serpent, as well. Christmas, as we know, is all about glad tidings of great joy for all people. Well, those glad tidings, or good news, or the gospel, is first proclaimed here, in the garden, to Satan. Genesis 3.15, it'll be on the screen. I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, He, this coming seed, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first proclamation of the gospel. There will come a child from Eve's line and he will make all things new. Because of sin, Eden was lost. But through this coming savior, Eden will be Restored. The rest of the Hebrew scriptures is the unfolding of this story. The longing for that promise to come to completion. We, we see in the Abrahamic covenant that this seed is going to come through the line of Abraham and bring blessings to all the nations. Later on, we find that this savior will come through the line of Judah In 2 Samuel 7, we have the covenant that God makes with David. It is here that we find that this coming seed won't just be our Savior, that he will be the Messiah, the King who reigns forever. Micah predicts that this child will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah says that this child will be born of a virgin. Jeremiah promises that this child will usher in a new covenant. Israel, God's unfaithful son, is longing for the promised seed from the garden. The faithful son who will bring true shalom, righteousness, forgiveness, justice, power, prosperity. Israel, over the centuries, had been exiled. The kingdom of David and Solomon destroyed. The the people of God divided, enslaved. The word of God, irrelevant. Has God forgotten his promise? Where is the seed that's supposed to crush the serpent's head and restore Eden? Now, over the 400 years of silence, the time in between the Old and New Testaments, the anticipation for this Messiah is growing. God seemed to empower the Jews during the Maccabean revolt, what we know as Hanukkah, but they quickly found themselves again under oppression. This time it was Rome. When is David's son coming? When will God's kingdom be here? Oh God, when will you make good on your promise? When our passage says, when the fullness of time has come, had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. 
This is more than just the end of a long pregnancy. This is the climax of the promise that was conceived back in the garden. It's what all of scripture has been pointing to. The Apostle Paul goes so far as to say that all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who's him? This child in Mary's womb on Christmas Eve. The seed that will crush the serpent's head is here. Glad tidings of great joy for all people indeed. When Mary starts feeling contractions and they begin to get stronger and stronger on Christmas Eve, the fullness of time is so near it hurts. I'd imagine nobody has had a more, has had more painful joy in labor than Mary. I still can't wrap my mind around my wife not taking an epidural for our three kids. But but her mindset was unbelievable. This will pass. And when it does, I will meet my baby. Could you imagine, Mary? This will pass. And when it does, Israel's Messiah is here. I will meet my baby boy and my king. What did Mary know on Christmas Eve? I'll tell you one thing she knew. She knew the cross that she was about to bear. Why don't you guys actually turn back to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. The passage Mark read earlier, beginning in verse 26, we have the scene where the angel Gabriel, he comes to Mary. He lets her know that she's the favored one that the Lord is with her, that that she will conceive a son. Let's pick up in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The angel Gabriel announces to Mary that the promised one is coming and you will conceive him. Mary obviously had taken sex ed class in Hebrew school. And so she doesn't doubt here, but asks a legit question. How? I'm a virgin. After Gabriel explains how this miracle will take place, Mary's response is an act of courageous faith to say the least look at verse 38 and mary said behold i am the servant of the lord let it be to me according to your word what did mary know she knew that according to jewish law adulterers get stoned she knew that she was engaged and not yet married She knew that her fiancé, Joseph, took the same sex ed class that she took, so she had some explaining to do. She knew that for the rest of her life, she would be marked. She would be shamed in an honor and shame culture. 
who was going to believe this story? And she, and she was right. If you remember in John 8, the Pharisees called Jesus a bastard. Why the heck would Mary agree to this deal with the angel? New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says, quote, she must have wondered if there was an easier way. Why then did Mary consent to this plan? Because she knew God. She knew from the pages of her people's history that the God of Israel was a merciful God who would look after her. She knew the stories about other women who were threatened in Jewish history, who were protected by God. Women whose stories are found in the Bible. Women like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Women whom the evangelist Matthew singles out when he writes his genealogy that leads to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Because of Mary's trust in God, and in spite of all these threatening thoughts and accusations and rebuke, Mary uttered those courageous words that changed history. I am the Lord's servant. May it be according to your word. End quote. Praise God that Mary said, may it be or let it be. Because Mary also knew this baby she would bear and the difficulties and shame that would come to her because of him were worth it. Why? Because she knew he was the Messiah. This child was the long-anticipated king. And after she told the angel, let it be, fast forward to the first Christmas Eve, nine months later. Could you imagine the thoughts going through Mary's mind? The emotions of her heart. Excitement. Scared. I don't know what you're going through right now, but, but, but maybe like Mary, who up until this point is a nobody from Nazareth, you might be hearing this story from your own insignificant place. Maybe you're in a season where it feels like God has abandoned you. Be reminded that like Mary, God knows your name. Or maybe you find yourself in a season where you know you need to tell God yes. Whether it's a yes to give your life, your trust, your allegiance to Christ for the first time. Or you just need to renew your commitment to God. And like Mary, tell him, I am your servant. Let your will be done. In the song, Mary, Did You Know?, Mark Lowry's lyrics ask the question, Mary, did you know that when you kiss your baby's face, you kiss the face of God? Mary, did you know that sleeping child you're holding is the great I am? Did Mary know all this? On the first Christmas Eve, I'm not sure we can answer that question. I think Mary does know that this child is unique. She's got no father. He's got no father for crying out loud. And the Mary told and, and, and the angel told Mary that he is the Son of God. Language not unique to where she lived. The, the Roman Emperor Augustus was considered the Son of God. It was written on the coins. And he was seen, at least by the Romans, as divine. 
But more than that, in Matthew's account, when the angel shows up to Joseph and tells him not to break up with his fiancée, but rather marry her, because her child is from the Holy Spirit, he, he comments in verse 23 of chapter 1 and says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Again, did Mary know on Christmas Eve that the second person of the triune God was living in her and dependent on her at the same time she was dependent on him for every breath she took? I want to say no. But again, she knew something extraordinary was happening with this child. And Luke does make it really clear as to who this child is. In Elizabeth's blessing of Mary, in Luke chapter 1, when she hears the voice of Mary and her baby, John the Baptist, inside of her leaps as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That was a crazy scene. But then as she's full of the Spirit, in, in, in Luke 1.42, she says, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? One theologian says this is the most startling verse in the birth infancy narrative and perhaps in the entire gospel. The mother of my Lord. Now Elizabeth could have used uh, many other words for, for Messiah or Christ, but through the Holy Spirit she chose Lord. One New Testament scholar says up until this point in Luke, Lord had been used for God for the God of Israel ten times. Moreover, Elizabeth goes on to say that Mary is blessed because she believed what was spoken from the Lord. In context, Lord refers to the God of Israel. But now suddenly Elizabeth speaks of Mary as the mother of my Lord, identifying Jesus with this title. Jesus is not only the Messiah, but he is also identified as the Lord, the God of Israel. Like I said, does Mary teenager have a perfect understanding of of her son being both god and man the god man probably not does she know all of this when she begins to get her contractions on christmas eve i, I don't think so but whether she knows or she doesn't throughout the course of her son's life she will find out I don't think she realized when she told the angel, I am the servant of the Lord, that she was bowing down to her son. Church history has called Mary the Ark of God. And, and, and though I believe any form of worship or prayer to Mary is completely wrong and idolatrous, I do see Mary as the Ark of God on Christmas Eve. This is exactly what's going down. If you know the Christmas story, you'll remember that, that John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, entered the temple as a priest. Right? That's where the angel Gabriel first comes on the scene in the Christmas story. And if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that, that God's glory overshadows the Holy of Holies where the ark of God is in a special way. Well, in Luke 1.35, 
where the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. That rare word, speaking of God's Shekinah glory, is present because now God is present in her. The fullness of time had come. Amy Peeler says, Zechariah had been given the privilege of entering the Holy of Holies, but now the presence in the Holy of Holies is poised to enter Mary herself. This is Christmas Eve, folks. And just as a side application, if you're a Christian in here this morning, 1 Corinthians says that you are now the temple of God because the spirit of God dwells in you. This has massive implications for how we live our lives, right? Be holy for the one who is in you is holy. Or another application, how we speak about our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we are the temple of God, be careful how you speak about your brother and sister. Now, as I wrap up, let me close with what I'm certain Mary did not know on Christmas Eve. Though Simon... Though Simeon does predict in Luke 2 that because of this child, a sword will, will, will pierce through Mary's own soul, she could have not foreseen the day before Christmas how Jesus, her son, the Messiah, the God-man, was going to usher in his kingdom. Mary could not fathom her son's kingdom coming through a Roman cross that she would be there at the foot of the cross to watch her son die but this friends is what christmas is all about the son of god became man to die for mary for you for me our king is the crucified king But this king didn't stay dead. Jesus defeated death by raising from the dead. This king of Christmas then ascended to the right hand of the father, inaugurating his kingdom and will one day come back to bring final consummation to that kingdom, usher in the new heavens and the new earth and judge the living and the dead. Our passage this morning from Galatians says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, but the verse does continue, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Anyone can get in on this. Sam Alberry says, Christmas is for the weary, the messed up, and for the broken. If your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. Merry Christmas, RP. So yes, Mary is the mother of God, the Theotokos, like we talked about earlier. But ultimately, this tells us more about God than it does about Mary. 
Again, New Testament scholar Amy Peeler says, Mary as Theotokos is to show appropriate respect for Mary, but fundamentally it is to speak rightly of God. That God chose to reveal himself to humanity, to redeem humanity by taking on flesh, by being born of a woman, sets the appropriate ways to conceive of God. One cannot proclaim even the most basic Christian confession, Jesus is Lord, without assuming her. Without birth through a woman, Jesus of Nazareth did not live. No Christmas. My prayer is that as we looked this morning at the day before Christmas through the eyes of Mary, we would fall down and worship her son, her savior, her God, namely Jesus, the son of God incarnate, that we would renew our allegiance to Jesus as the king of kings. And that we would be blown away by the fact that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, would humble himself so low that he would call Mary his mother. With the intention that Mary, me, you would be brothers and sisters. Creating this family of God and whoever else would say, I am your servant, Lord. May it be. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Christmas. And that your son took on another nature so that he would live for us and die for us and that he would raise again and be our king. Lord, we love you. Help us to see Christ in all his glory this Christmas. And it's in his name we pray, amen.